Johnny, welcome back to part two of our interview. This is a nice bonus because I did not expect to do two parts, but I'm so excited to do it. In part two, we're going to be talking now about cholesterol, heart disease. That's I want to talk about the cholesterol myth, how heart disease is increased 10 years after being in menopause. I recently read a statistic. And how does it all relate back to what we're eating and specifically the fats? I want to talk about the good type of fats that we should be eating and including in our diet. So where do you want to start with that? That's a, a, a wonderful group of topics and they are all interrelated. Um, I say, let's start with your cholesterol. Let's start with the cholesterol myth. Sure. So the, the basic 15 second elevator speech about the great cholesterol myth is cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease. The measurement that your doctor is using for cholesterol, good and bad, is so woefully out of date that it's like using a flip phone in the days of the iPhone 12. Um, and in fact, as we talked about in part one, the real promoter of heart disease is something called insulin resistance. And that has to do with diet. And it certainly doesn't have to do with the amount of fat you eat. It has more to do with the types of fat you eat and the types of carbs you eat, but it doesn't have anything to do with whether the fat is saturated or not. All of those are myths that we explore in the book. Um, what are they relevant to for the audience? We have been following dietary guidelines that make us sick, fat, tired, and depressed. Just look around you. I mean, the, the dietary guidelines, and they have been pretty much internationally accepted following the USDA food pyramid and its various incarnations, high carb, low fat, don't eat animal products, don't eat saturated fat, all of that stuff um, has not produced anything like the results we thought. It hasn't reduced heart disease. It hasn't reduced um, mortalities. It hasn't re certainly hasn't reduced obesity. I mean, a lot of people really pissed off because it's not easy to stay on a low-fat diet using willpower alone. It goes against everything uh, that our hormones and neurotransmitters are trying to tell us and trying to operate on. Um, so we have this, this terribly mistaken diet. Now, how does it relate to menopause? Menopause and andropause for men is, you know, a, a, as generally in the most general sense is a change in your hormonal environment. Well, <clears throat> insulin is a hormone also. And as we talked about in part one, I believe insulin resistance is at the heart of a lot of these diseases we don't want to get as we get older. Well, a second path that's augmenting that is now you've got a reduction in hormones that also kind of ogre for maybe some weight gain and maybe some lack of energy and maybe some lack of ability to put on muscle. So now you got those hormones going on that track. Meanwhile, you've got insulin resistance increasing as you get older and you've got a perfect storm there, right? In your late 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, where everything is kind of telling your body, put on more abdominal fat, which in turn increases inflammation right? Which in turn promotes even more of the degenerative diseases we don't want to get. So yeah, the hormones of which insulin is one that all kind of intersects around the menopause and repose age. And, and it just makes things kind of worse if you don't do something to kind of right the, the, the ship and get it going in the direction you want it to go. Leave it in its own direction. It's going downhill. And that doesn't have to happen at all. Johnny, in your book, The Great Cholesterol Myth, you have part, you know, the first book and then now the revised version, you talk about cholesterol as not being the precursor to someone who is going to get heart disease. When we go to the doctor, we get our cholesterol checked, right? We get those, our triglycerides and our HDL and our LDL. 
what what does cholesterol do in the body? I think we need to start there. Why is it even present? And do we get cholesterol from eating things like eggs? And how do we what are we supposed to look at in terms of measuring our risk for coronary heart disease? Oh, this is such wonderful questions. All right, let's start with what cholesterol is, what it does, and why we need it. Um, you, I don't know if, if you guys in Canada have this. Uh, uh, we used to have a TV commercial all the time. It was during the, the war on drugs, and they'd show, uh, this is your brain, and then they'd show the eggs oh, yeah. being scrambled, and this oh, yeah. is your brain on drugs. All right, so I used to do a demonstration with a balloon. I go, this is your brain, and this is your brain cells. Pop it and go, that's it, without cholesterol. Right. So basically, without cholesterol, you die. It's, I'll let that sink in. Cholesterol is so important that 80% of it is made in the body. So let's, de let's debunk the myth that eating cholesterol makes the slightest bit of difference. Okay. Because guess what? If you don't eat it, your body makes more of it because it needs it. If you eat a lot of it, your body says we don't need to make as much of it because okay. it's going to keep it at that level. I have a, a, a friend, Dr. Daniel Amen, a psychiatrist who is treating a patient with such low cholesterol that it's a major problem and they feed her everything they can feed her. It doesn't bring it up. They have to give her literally intravenous cholesterol because her brain needs it so badly. So it's needed for memory. It's needed for thinking. It is needed. Get this, underline it with a Sharpie for immunity. And it's something that for reasons which we go into in the book and many other people have written books about as well, we as collectively have gotten focused on this one molecule and thinking that it is synonymous with heart disease. And as I said on Dr. Oz, trying to lower the risk of heart disease by lowering cholesterol is like lowering the risk for obesity by not eating lettuce. <laughs> That doesn't mean that lettuce doesn't have calories. Sure, it does. Is that the target you want for your obesity efforts? So, how did this all happen? So, I was going to say, where did it all come from? Like, how did that even it came from studies starting in 1913 with rabbits, and they fed them cholesterol, and they all got heart disease, and they got uh, a plaque in their arteries, and they didn't notice that rabbits are vegetarians and they don't eat anything that contains cholesterol, so their bodies don't know what to do with it. So those, that's where it started. And then in the 50s and 60s, a guy named Ansel Keys did a lot of traveling. He's a physiologist, very well thought of. He had a lot of power in the medical community. And a trifecta of things happened. Dwight D. Eisenhower was the president of the United States. And out of nowhere, he gets a heart attack in office. And he was a beloved president at very different political times. Republican president, everybody loved him. He was a general, he was a hero. He looked physically fit, gets a heart attack. Not something that was common in the 1950s. This is 1953. This didn't happen a lot. In fact, heart disease wasn't even like a profession until the mid, wow. the, the first 50 years of the, of the 20th century is when cardiology became a profession. That's what, 100 years ago? It's not like heart disease was that prominent. So this guy dies. Here's Ansel Key saying, I know why. I got a theory. And he, he went to the Mediterranean region. He said, these people don't have so much heart disease. They don't eat that much meat. I think it's the meat. I think it's the saturated fat. Mm. Now, remember, there's no data. There's nothing but his observations. He was a very, very forceful personality. And he came with data. He showed, he, now he had a theory. 
and he laid out these theories that look, look, let's look at these countries. And we look at how much fat they eat and we look at how much heart disease. And it looks like there's a straight line between right. the ones that eat the most fat and the ones that have the most heart disease. Of course, many years later, they go, you know, there were 22 countries that had data available. He picked the six that made that hypothesis. When you look at all 22, that hypothesis doesn't hold up. But he was forceful. And he believed this. And because everyone wanted to know what to do, it was like the COVID thing. It's like, we, we don't know how good the science is right now, but people want something done. They want a vaccine. They want some therapeutics. They need to act now. They don't have time to wait. That was the feeling back then. This guy, our president just had a heart attack. He almost died. People are coming back from the Korean War. They've got plaque. We got to do something now. And here's Ansel Key saying, I know what to do. Let's go on low-fat diets. That's the answer. And that's how this started. And it sounds crazy. And you go, no, couldn't happen. Well, look at what's happening right now. You think that couldn't have happened? You think a very, very strong, powerful guy who did not allow dissent in the ranks couldn't have convinced a committee of old white men that, yes, this is what we should, in fact, do? Well, that's what he did. And so we had the dietary guidelines. Now, the cholesterol thing is very interesting. So in the 60s, if you went to a health fair, you'd have somebody there. They'd put, this was a new concept, cholesterol in the blood, right? He's talking about it. And they would prick your blood and they'd go, oh, Mrs. Jones, your cholesterol is about 210, 240, 190, whatever. They'd give you a number. There was no good and bad. It was just a number. And around the early 60s, they're looking at it a little bit more carefully. They're looking at it under microscopes and say, well, actually... This cholesterol stuff, it kind of travels in two different kinds of packages. And, and one of them is, a, is a, they're both lipoproteins. That's the boat that carries the cholesterol. But some of them are higher density, which means that if you dropped it in water, it would drop to the bottom because it's high density. And some of them are built float. They're called low density because they, they're not as heavy. So let's call them, let's give them different names. Let's call one low density lipoprotein. And notice that it's the boat, not the cargo that we're talking about, because that's one of the things in the book that we talk about. We're so, so focused on the cargo, we should be focused on those boats, HDL and LDL. And the L in both of those stands for lipoprotein. So now we know there's two. So now that's a big improvement. That's like, I don't know if you guys are young enough to remember the very first cell phones. They were they they were this size and people would carry and they were like, a oh, he's got a cell phone. He can talk over the, and you see him on the streets. They were this big, the, the CEO's head. Well, and then, then we got the flip phones, right? That's a big improvement. HDL, LDL was the flip phone to the big thing. Instead of measuring that big clunky one number, we had a, a, a much better way. We could measure HDL, LDL. That was great for 1963. You know how many types of cholesterol there are now? How many types of lipoproteins? We've identified so far 13. There's LDL-A, LDL-B, there's oxidized LDL, there's lipoprotein small a, there's, there's uh, uh, HDL-2A, HDL-2B, there's all 13 subtypes of cholesterol. And they don't behave the same way. And the pattern of those lipoproteins, the number of boats in the water, the size of the boats, are they LDL small particles, which tend to be atherogenic, or are they big fluffy particles, which are not? 
This information's available. This information on the cholesterol test is meaningful, and your doctor's still using that flip phone? Are you kidding? They're measuring good and bad. They're not good and bad. There's 13 different types of cholesterol that do different things in the body, and many of them have nothing to do with heart disease. Yes, the atherogenic ones, the small little LDLA particles, which are not measured on the good and bad test, yes, they can be of concern. The pattern of whether it's pattern A or pattern B can be predictive of insulin resistance. So yeah, there's valuable information to be had in cholesterol tests, but not the ones your doctor's giving you. Those are like astrology predictions from People Magazine. They are useless. So are you saying that all these years when we think we look at cholesterol levels, when we get our blood tests done from our doctors, that that isn't necessarily an indication of getting heart disease. I just want to be very clear about what we're Very talking. clear. They are lowering cholesterol and lowering the risk for heart disease are not the same thing. What's interesting is that there are people with high LDL who have heart disease. Um, and I would argue that if you looked under the hood and you looked at the real cholesterol test, that would predict that. So what we have sometimes, and this is a kind of, I, I don't want to go too into the weeds here, but it's sort of like, let's go back to the astrology prediction in a popular magazine, right? Sometimes it's right. right. Sometimes it's right. But it's right by luck. The LDL reading could sometimes be indicative of heart disease, but you want to look under the hood. And, and it actually cuts both ways because I'm a great example personally of the opposite happening. I had perfectly normal, good and bad cholesterol. Perfectly normal. Nobody would ever, no doctor would say there was any problem. Then I started getting the real cholesterol test, which looks under the hood at good and bad and goes, what kind of LDL? What kind of HDL? What's the pattern? What's the this? And I had numbers that were much more concerning. Okay. So I would be a person who would be undertreated by this ridiculous dependence on a test from 1960. So what should people we who are being overtreated are people who, oh my God, your LDL is over whatever they think it is supposed to be. Let's put you on a statin when in fact, if you looked under the hood, all that LDL is big fluffy particles that don't do anything. The atherogenic particles are practically non-existent. The ratios are wonderful. The patterns are wonderful, but you don't see that. All you're seeing is these large, categories that once served us back in 1963 and are completely past their expiration date. So my message in the book and on every podcast I do is if you get a prescription for a statin drug, insist on more information. Do not take it based on this test, which okay. is obsolete. So what test should they be? Should we be asking our doctors to give us if it's not the HDL, LDS, LDL, and try You ask for a particle test. Now, all the labs now have different versions of that. There's the lipo panel, the cardio panel, the NMR test, the uh, 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 LabCorp has an LPIR test. They all have some version of the particle test that actually looks under the hood at the various kinds of cholesterol and tells you how many boats are in the water. Because remember, think of this just logically. If, if, if you have a, a, a problem with too much stuff being around, there's more likely to be an accident. Right. When you have a nightclub that's very, very crowded, right, there's more likely, even if they're wonderful people, someone's going to spill a drink. Somebody's going to get pissed off. There's going to be a fight. You have a huge crowd. Right. 
What are we talking about with COVID? You have small, manageable groups, but as soon as you have super spreader events, there's always more trouble when there are more people, more boats, more cart. Well, it's the same thing with cholesterol. The cargo of the boat doesn't matter as much as the number of boats in the water. And that is what these new tests look at. That's what our book talks about. That's the information you want to have when you're looking at cholesterol tests, not how much, how much cargo are they car carrying. It's all the same cargo. There's no good and bad cholesterol. There's cholesterol carried in HDLs and cholesterol carried in LDLs. And if you took it apart, it is the identical cholesterol. So what we really want to know is what's the activity of these lipoproteins? How many of them are there? Because the more there are, the more likelihood of an accident. And that's true whether you're talking about COVID, whether you're talking about a nightclub, or whether you're talking about the bloodstream. So looking under the hood. So we need cholesterol, very important. What very. you're saying, just to recap, what you're saying is that, you know, looking at the way they do testing now is a little, it's outdated from the 60s. What we need to do is if you, I guess if it's a first line of defense for blood tests and you, you have that ratio that's out of whack or you have high LDL, ask your doctor to give you a second test where you're actually going under the hood and looking for the particles. Looking for the particles. Right. Now, did you do you have that in your book? Is all of that indicated? All of that. Absolutely. Okay. Can you show your book yeah. again? We're gonna we're gonna give another plug to the book because I think it's an important thing to because oh, this information can get overwhelming, right? So I think it's important. So the great cholesterol myth, revised edition. Is it available on Amazon? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so we can put links to it below. So again, all of this is outlined in Johnny's book. He is an absolute expert on cholesterol. Oops. Falling book. <laughs> yeah, falling books. But, you know, the thing to remember, because it can be overwhelming and technical, but just think the boats in the water concert. Yeah. Just think about the people in the nightclub concert. We want to know how many of them there are, not just what they're carrying in their pockets. That's not what starts the fight. What starts the fight is there's too many people in a small space. And that's what we need to know in our cholesterol tests, not whether your LDL is high, but like how many, how many carriers of cholesterol are there? Because those, those lipoproteins don't just carry cholesterol, they carry triglycerides, they carry protein. There's a lot of things in those boats. And we have so crazily focused on this one compartment of cargo when we really should be looking at the bigger picture. And that's, if you, if you get that concept, you understand the craziness of just looking at this one compartment in the boat and how much cholesterol it happens to contain. And to your point is you had even, you know, not even using that first line of defense, the HDL, LDL, because truthfully you had perfect in both categories, but yet when you look deeper, there was an actually, there was an, an actual that's issue. Correct. So I do think that's an important point and that is very sound advice. Okay, Johnny, I want to move on to oils and what, what causing heart disease, like let's focus on heart disease, women in menopause. I'm going to repeat this stat. As we get into menopause, women are more likely to have heart disease, coronary heart disease, 10 years after entering menopause. I mean, what a scary statistic. And we understand that it has to do with plummeting hormones, but what else can cause it? What else, why are we at an increased risk as we go further on into menopause? Well, I'll, I'll go back to the, the, the thing that, you know, is, is uh, uh, the message of our book. Um, insulin resistance gets worse as we get older. And it is entirely possible uh, that even if you took menopause out of the picture for the moment, you would see a, a, a relationship between declining uh, effectiveness of insulin and an increasing risk of all the cardiometabolic diseases. I, I think that's probably true with men as well. And, and it, it is a very much related 
to the increase in insulin resistance that happens as we get older. Now, that alone would probably account for more cardiometabolic problems like heart disease. You add to that lower estrogen, hormonal balance, and that is those two things together um, are, it, it's just a kind of a perfect storm. It's, it's two things that are kind of pointing south and they kind of work synergistically. So I don't think it's just the hormones that change with women or with men during the andropause. I think it is that plus an increased uh, amount of insulin resistance because insulin, like many things in the body, performs less as you get older if you don't do something about correcting it, same as hormones. You talked earlier about diet and you were saying about Ansel Keys, I believe you said it was his name, and he was saying that saturated fat can lead to heart disease. But I know that you say, no, that's not the case. Saturated fat yes. is not. So what is your position on saturated fat? And let's talk about oils and its connection to heart disease now. Okay, so so first of all, it's not just me saying saturated fat doesn't cause heart disease. Ever since 2010, and we quote study after study, all the references are in there. Um, we're not making this up. It started in 2010 with the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, that big study, 347,000 patients eat saturated fat. Do they get more heart disease? No, they do not. And the same thing is, there's just a dozen studies like that. It's I don't think it's really, it shouldn't even be controversial at this point. I believe that fat has been wrongly put into two categories. Yes, there are good fats and yes, there are bad fats, but we have wrongly come to believe that those two categories are synonymous with animal and vegetable. So animal fats, bad, vegetable fats, good, total, complete BS. Good fats are fats which are not toxic. Bad fats are fats that are toxic. It has nothing to do with whether they're animal, vegetable, mineral, Martian. It has to do with whether they're toxic. How do we know that they're toxic? If they've been overheated, if they formed carcinogenic compounds by being heated in a restaurant and then cooled and then heated and then cooled and then thrown out once a week, like they do in all fast food restaurants. And actually the quote unquote vegetable oils perform even worse than the saturated fats under those conditions because they, they form even more compounds because they don't actually stand up to heat very well the way saturated fat did. So it really does not break down into saturated versus unsaturated. It does not break down into animal versus uh, plant. It breaks down into whether or not this is a healthy fat uh, minimally processed, and whether or not, in my in my standard, the, the number one thing is, does it lead to inflammation? Is it a pro-inflammatory fat? Those are the standards, and there are saturated fats that meet those standards, and they are just wonderful. And I can think coconut oil, which is a plant-based saturated fat, great for you. Malaysian palm oil, another saturated fat that's perfectly good for you. The, and then you move into the animal foods, the saturated fat in grass-fed butter, the saturated fat in grass-raised, pasture-raised, 100% pasture-raised beef. All of these are non-inflammatory. They're perfectly good for you. And some of them, in the case, for example, of coconut oil, they have lauric acid. Palm oil has tocotrienol. Some of them are actually good for you. So it is not a question of saturated versus unsaturated. Now let's look at that unsaturated part of the equation. This vegetable oil we've been told to eat since the 80s. Since the 80s. Um, 
Number one, it's not vegetable oil, it's seed oil. We call it vegetable oil because in this triumph of marketing, these companies who had this one-off crappy product that they couldn't sell decided, I know, let's make this into a health product. So canola oil is a perfect example of that, this horrible rapeseed plant that nobody could sell because the name rapeseed. So they changed the name Canada Oil Canola. It, it is an inedible oil that has to be degummed, deodorized, high, horribly high temperature, terribly caustic chemicals to make it into something that you could actually not throw up when you when you open the jar. And then they sell this highly processed oil, 90% or more of which is GMO plants. Uh, and they sell that as a healthy oil because it's a vegetable oil. No. And soybean oil, same thing. And corn oil and safflower and sunflower. So these oils, not only are they processed within an inch of their lives so that they could, they do not pass my would it spoil if you left it outside test at all, but also they are very, very high in omega-6s. Now understand that omega-6 and omega-3 are the two essential fatty acids that we all need to get from the diet. These are not bad or good, they need to be in balance. When they get out of balance, that's what's bad and good. Not that omega-6s are bad and omega-3s are good, but when they're not one-to-one -one or maybe four-to-one, that's what's bad. And it's always, unless you happen to be an Arctic explorer who lives only on seal meat, it's always way high on the omega-6s and way low on the omega-3s, and that's a problem. And guess what the main source of omega-6 in our diet is all that crappy vegetable oil, which is wholly omega-6. And that is really what's contributing to inflammation. And inflammation, in turn, contributes to every one of these diseases we're talking about, including or maybe even especially heart disease for women. Inflammation is a huge promoter, and omega-6s from vegetable oil are a huge source of that promotion that omega that that inflammation and this whole notion that that's the good oil and the saturated fats are the bad oil is just crazy and it's not true and it's not based on science i love how you explain that johnny that was so simple to understand so easy good fats we want avocado oil we want olive oil we want coconut oil i mean palm oil like i love that you even mentioned coconut oil Every, you know, it seems to me that every, you know, couple of years, there's a study that comes out saying how bad coconut oil is for us. My dad will call me and say, you know what? You keep telling me to eat coconut oil, but you see it's bad. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm so frustrated with hearing how, you know, these saturated fats or specifically coconut oil that is a good fat is not good for us. Like, why is that happening? And please, can you clear that up for everybody? Who's yeah, watching? I can clear that up for you. Um, I was lucky enough to study with the great late Robert Crayon. Um, he was my first nutrition professor and my first nutrition mentor. And one of the first studies he assigned to us in, in one of the first classes I ever took was a study of the Trobriand Islanders, the Puka Puka. And what they did is they went into these Trobriand Islands where people got 80% of their calories from coconut and coconut meat. They ate a ton of coconut oil. They ate a ton of coconut. So they wanted to measure heart disease, but there was a problem. They couldn't because the, low, the levels were so low, it barely moved the needle. This was a population that lived on coconut and had almost no heart disease. That's what I grew up on. So, and in the ensuing years, I learned all the things that coconut oil has and all the things that it does and the different properties of it. Um, 
the fact that uh, most of the fat in it is in a class called MCTs, medium chain triglycerides. They are in fact a saturated fat, but they perform differently in the body and bodybuilders love them because they kind of are used for energy instead of storing this fat. And lauric acid, which is one of those is antiviral. So I learned all of this. And then this stuff started to come out. Um, and if you look at the stuff about coconut oil where your father said, oh, I just read that it's bad. Every single one of those studies, and I defy, if anyone in the audience can find a study like this that, that does not use what I'm about to tell you as the measure of bad, I, I will pay them a hundred bucks. You find me one clinical study that shows that, that, that coconut, a clinical study showing coconut leads to oil in any way increases the risk of heart disease. And I will, and no questions asked, show me one published study, 100 bucks. So, how do they know coconut oil is bad? They look at your cholesterol measurement. So, if it raises this antiquated, out of date, useless, measure that we have just spent an hour deconstructing and explaining why it should be retired yesterday, they use that measure, oh, it raised your LDL cholesterol. Therefore, that's a surrogate for heart disease. That's the only wrap on coconut oil. It may raise your LDL cholesterol. You know, one of the early studies when I was beginning to study nutrition seriously at the PhD level was a study, I remember it, it was a study from 1994, and I even remember the researcher, and I'm not someone who can sprout research, but her name was Dreon, D-R-E-O-N, 1994, she did a study on just this very thing, and she actually uh, fed people saturated fat, it may have even been from coconut, it doesn't really matter, and sure enough, their LDL went up. But then she did something which was, you know, for 1994, unbelievably advanced. She looked at the size of those LDLs, which is what the test I'm telling you about now that's common, that can be, it wasn't common then. Something told her, no, all right, the LDL went, that's, a, that's enough of that. Let's look underneath the hood. And she go, oh, wait a minute, the LDL went up but it's all these big fluffy LDL particles that don't do any damage and all those nasty little BB gun uh, sized particles that get inflamed and, and atherogenic, they're practically non-existent. So yeah, his overall LDL, but under the hood, this is a great improvement. So you can't look at overall LDL and say, because coconut oil raises it, it's bad. And that is precisely what the American Medical Association has done year in and year out, and they just keep double downing on it. They double downed on it a, a couple of years ago when they came up with a big new quote unquote study that CNN, everybody said, new study shows coconut oil is bad for you. And what they did, they did not do one single lick of original research or new research. They looked at all these other studies that showed that coconut oil raised LDL cholesterol, and they said, here's the proof. So that's the story of coconut oil. Perfectly healthy oil. And I'd like to just point this out. Dr. Oz used to have a radio show. It was on Sirius XM. This is before he was Dr. Oz. He was still famous. 
he had a great radio show, but he was it wasn't the Dr. Oz show. His wife used so to be on it this, all the time too, Lisa. I remember what, listening to Oh yeah, Lisa, right. His, yeah. And his wife was on it. And Mike Roizen, his co-author on the U Books, yep. was on by satellite from Cleveland. So I'm living in New York. He has me on. My book, The 150 Healthiest Foods on Earth, had just come out. This is like, I don't know, 2008. I go into the studio, it keeps me on for the hour. We start going through all the different foods. We get to coconut and coconut oil. I go through my rap that I just went through with you. Mike Roizen from Cleveland pipes in over the satellite. Dr. Bowden's completely wrong. This is a toxic food. It causes inflammation. It does this. It is uh, it's terrible to recommend. It was a very friendly, and I respectfully disagreed over coconut oil. I was delighted to see that 10 years later on Dr. Oz's website, coconut oil and coconut was listed as a superfood. Yeah. So this stuff does change. (laughs) And it changes all the time. And I think it's important to mention the type of coconut oil. So you want to make sure that you're eating virgin coconut oil, raw coconut oil. That's always, yes, yes. And a lot of these things like palm oil and and coconut oil got a terrible reputation because in the beginning, they did import the crappiest, most processed versions of these things filled with trans fat. And, you know, some people are still thinking that's what it used to be like. It's just not that way anymore. So you, you talk about palm oil, palm fruit oil. I absolutely love it. And I want to yeah. clear up something about that because I think also we're talking about bad wraps. I really think that palm fruit oil got a bad rap too. And we now know that it's one of the healthiest oils that we can eat. It has the tocotrienols. It's got that beautiful, the carotenoids, that beautiful red color. So yeah. talk about that. Talk about, and we want to make sure that we're getting it from Malaysia. We want to make sure that it's sustainable, like all of that. Let's debunk the myth on why palm oil is not bad for you. (laughs) You know, the study that comes to mind um, is one that was done last year in Malaysia, of all places, Um, because because palm oil is the olive oil of everybody everywhere in the world, except um, except where it isn't. It's African and Asian. It's their olive oil. It's the basic go to oil that everybody uses. And. um, you mentioned Malaysia because you and I both care about the animals and the environment. And, and that's one of the countries, one of the few countries that really farms it very uh, sustainably and really cares about those things. So we like it to come from Malaysia. But palm oil in general um, is, it, it, as you know, it's it's, just re- it's often red and it's red because it's got carotenoids and all this stuff. But it, it, it's, it's, um, its reputation has, has always been bad because it's a saturated fat. And that's precisely the point. If, sa- if everything we learned about saturated fat and animal products and, and, and cholesterol and all that stuff is, is turning out to not be so, yeah. then what happens to these guidelines that demonize these wonderful foods like palm oil? So anyway, to go back to the, the, the study that was done recently, it was done in Malaysia and um, they looked not at a single ingredient in the diet. No, those studies are often kind of fraught. If you look at just one, you want to look at like how people eat as a pattern. You know what I mean? And so this, this uh, study was distinguished for two reasons, in my opinion. Number one, they looked at dietary patterns, like high carb, low fat, high carb, high fat, low fat, uh, high, every combination in the TikTok dough matrix of high fat, low fat, High fat, high carb, and low fat. There were four different variations. 
protein was pretty much the same in all of them, which is kind of what very often happens in these things, the constant and the two things that, that change are whether it's both high in carbs and high in fat, low in fat and low in carbs, very high in protein, like a carnivore diet, or high in carbs, low in fat, high in fat, low in carbs. So there's four different things. They looked at, so the first thing that distinguished the study was they looked at those patterns. And that's useful, right? You want to know how people actually eat, not what one ingredient does, right? And the second way, way the study was distinguished is they did not just look at cholesterol as a surrogate for heart disease. They looked at the stuff I'm talking about. They looked at the really modern tests, um, you know, particle number and particle pattern and all the stuff that is available in the new test. That's what they looked at as the metrics and, uh, uh, you know, pre-diabetes markers and things like that. So they really had a sense of how a certain pattern of eating might result in a certain level of risk. And here's what they found. And, and, and the reason this is particularly relevant to this discussion is that all the fat that they ate was Malaysian palm oil because they did the study in Malaysia. So whether they were eating high fat diets, low fat diets, medium fat diets, it was all mostly 80% of it was Malaysian palm oil. So we know that that's a constant. So what did they find? They found that the amount of fat in the diet didn't make a damn bit of difference. High fat diets, low fat diets, didn't impact the risk factors correctly measured. You know what did? The amount of carbohydrates. So high carb diets, low fat, didn't do well. High carb diets, high fat, didn't do so well. Low carb diets, high fat, did much better. Low carb diets, low fat. <laughs> it was the amount of carbohydrates that was driving the risk. Wow. And I think that that really, that, that study, it's a recent study. It was a very well done study, multi-center study with lots of, of authors that were all very well credentialed. And I, I think it's, it's kind of the standard to beat. I mean, the fact is, it, it is another nail in the coffin of the notion that fat and cholesterol cause heart disease and are the things that women and men should be worried about as they get older. It, it, it really is not. And in fact, all the data is pointing to the fact that these high sugar diets, high glycemic diets, as they're sometimes known, actually do increase the risk for all the things we don't want to have. And the low-fat diet has been a terrible prescription for changing that. And I know when I eat sunflower oil, or I try never to eat canola oil, but sometimes it's in a food that I'm eating, I feel it in my body. I feel the inflammation. I feel the pain. But when I switch to avocado oil or palm fruit oil or olive oil or coconut oil, I feel good. So I can totally see how that chronic inflammation is caused by those high omega-6 oil. So such good information, Johnny. And I think that it's important that, now is, is palm fruit oil available everywhere? Like, is it somewhere you can go to your grocery store and find it? Is it, is it accessible? It kind of is. I mean, it's certainly available at like all the, the, the better grocery stores like Whole Foods and, and Sprouts and Ralph's and all of that stuff. They all have it. Um, it doesn't always say Malaysian and, okay. and most of the palm oil we get in this country in, in America is Malaysian, but not all of it. And so okay. it's, it's harder to check that, but, but um, it's, it's widely available as an ingredient. And I think that's really maybe more of the message is that like, don't look at an ingredient thing and say, oh, it has palm oil, put it back. Right. No, <laughs> it's perfectly fine. I'd rather see that than, than frankly, than corn oil. 
Well, there are a so, lot of companies uh, that are vilifying palm oil. They then they'll say on their package palm oil free, and I'm like, why are you saying it's palm oil free? Why are you saying palm oil is bad? Now there are different types of palm oil. I know some are much more processed than other, but what we're talking about is palm fruit oil, right? I just want to be yes. clear. Okay, so be clear when you're looking at a label, it's palm fruit oil, which is the good one, and it, it's beautiful because of its red color. It actually turns like if you're making popcorn with it, or it's you can use it for high heat. So you can cook eggs. It turns your food a little bit red. It's got like this really cool. It's a fun. It's fun to cook with it, to be honest, because because yeah, and then there's a golden one too, I think also. But, the golden one but too. The point I think is that people really have to have kind of a reset about the notion yeah. that fat is bad and high carb diets are good, because metabolically it's exactly the opposite. And and I think to Good the point. extent that we can make those dietary changes, and look, I am, am not naive about the difficulty of changing that headset, but I feel, Andrea, that like if we as a, a country here in the United States, and I think actually in the world, are experiencing something of a woke moment. We are actually reevaluating some of the baked in assumptions that we've been operating on without even necessarily being conscious of them. And those assumptions go to the LBGTQ community. They go to what our ideas about women are. They go to I mean, lots of things are being upended in terms of like, wait a minute, we have been operating with a sort of certain level of racism. And I know that we don't like to think that about ourselves, but yeah. the studies kind of show that there are these biases. And a lot of us have been willing to say, let's let's put those under the examination uh, yeah. lights and see if there's serving us anymore. And it is time. What better time to do that with nutrition? Because these baked in beliefs, you talk about palm oil free, you know how many oils I see advertised as cholesterol free? Mm. What that does is tell everybody you shouldn't be eating dietary cholesterol. And that's just absolute not True, it does not have anything to do with it. They even knew it back in the days of Ansel Keys. He knew that dietary cholesterol didn't make a, a whit of difference. So these things are so baked in, we need to re-examine them in the same spirit of self-awareness and betterment for both ourselves and the people around us and the society we live in. We need to re-examine some of these baked in beliefs. And I'm here to discuss the baked in beliefs in nutrition that are setting us on the wrong path. And I'll leave all the other stuff to the politicians and sociologists and psychologists and, and people who would like to work on those. And I want to work on the baked in nutrition beliefs that are setting us in, in the wrong direction and have set us in the wrong direction for a number of decades. And it's time to get a little woke about some of the things we believe about nutrition. Yeah, well said. And such a great way to end the interview, Johnny. Is there anything else that we, I know we talked about a lot, part one. If you haven't listened to part one, please, we're putting a link below. We also put it in the card. Please, please, please listen to part one. It's such enlightening information. And obviously part two, which you're watching right now or listening to on our podcast. And if you're on our podcast, but you actually want to see what Johnny and I look like, come over to YouTube, go to the Naturally Savvy page and the Morphous page, and you will actually see us there. So make sure you subscribe and we'll put a link again to that as well below. Anything else you want to leave us with, Mr. Johnny? No, I just, I, it's, it's thanks. We're, we're taping this. I don't know when you put it live, but we're taping it on Thanksgiving. I just think it's a wonderful time to say how thankful I am, I know you are, and, and part of what I'm thankful for is the opportunity to do interviews like this. So thank you on this Thanksgiving day, and I hope everybody has the best day possible. 
Thank you, Johnny. And can you just say one more time your book? Please uh, give a big plug for your book because I do think everybody who wants to understand heart disease who or who wants to understand the connection between what you're eating and it needs to buy this book. The Great Thank Cholesterol you. Myth. The Great Cholesterol Myth. It's really something people do need to know about. Make sure you get the revised and expanded edition of the book. Thank you so much. Thank you, Johnny.